Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world's bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features, get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the book No Future Without Forgiveness. First, let's start with a short story. A group of Nazi soldiers once surrounded several Jews, shut them up in a building and set the building on fire. Years later, one of the arsonists sought to ease his guilt by asking for forgiveness from the Jewish victims' families. What do you think the families of the victims would do? In reality, people are often unwilling to see criminals get away with their crimes, preferring to take an eye for an eye. Personal grudges are hard to let go, and racial persecution is even harder to forgive. In 1994, for example, there was an appalling genocide in Rwanda, in which at least half a million people died. The whole country fell into a cycle of revenge killings, which made the already impoverished nation less stable and pushed the economy to the brink of collapse. How did South Africa which also suffered from severe racial persecution achieve racial reconciliation under its government's leadership? This book No Future Without Forgiveness details the process of racial reconciliation in South Africa. This stirring book records not only the appalling events of racial persecution, but also the great minds of South Africa's native people. What is even more gratifying is that the nation's persecuted people have obtained their own redemption through forgiveness, which has in a spiritual sense set them free. Desmond Tutu, the author of this book has made great contributions to peace in South Africa. He has been widely known as South Africa's moral conscience for his non-violent opposition to apartheid. Tutu was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1984, and in 1986, he was elected the first black Archbishop of Cape Town. He served as chairman of South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission from 1996 to 1999 and witnessed the process of racial reconciliation in South Africa. After writing No Future Without Forgiveness, Tutu also wrote the Book of Forgiving, The Fourfold Path for Healing Ourselves and Our World, a transformative book of recovery that explores how to heal the trauma of apartheid and the loss of loved ones. You can also find a bookie of that book on our platform. In this bookie, we will explain in three parts how the South African government at a turning point in its history facilitated racial reconciliation and ushered in a new future. Part 1, The Origins of South Africa's Racial Reconciliation Part 2, New South Africa Opts for a Third Way Part 3, The Truth and Reconciliation Commission's Historic Mission April 27, 1994, a turning point in South Africa's history marked the country's first multiracial general elections, where black South Africans were finally able to vote. The voting lines were made up of white people, black people, people of Indian descent, and other people of color. This type of scene had not been witnessed in the preceding decades. To see the importance of this multiracial election, we must look at South Africa's early history. Starting in 1948, South Africa's apartheid government went on a legislative frenzy, banning interracial marriage and reserving certain occupations for whites only. They also forcibly removed black people from their native areas, placing them into Bantustan settlements with terrible living conditions. Three and a half million black people were forced by the white minority to leave their hometowns, often by inhumane methods. For example, 
The infamous pass laws and influx control regulations stated that all black people over the age of 16 had to carry a pass. If the police found a black person without a pass, they could be put in jail. Also, when black people entered a city, regardless of their age or gender, they had to strip down and stand in long lines so that the police could check them. The whole apartheid system in South Africa was about depriving black people of their self-worth and destroying their dignity. In a related bookie born a crime, stories from a South African childhood, we have previously discussed South African-born Trevor Noah's similar experiences under apartheid. A similar story of the struggles of blacks under apartheid comes from Pius Langer, who became the deputy president of South Africa's Constitutional Court. He recalled that when he was 17 he was high-spirited and full of hope about the future. However, his optimism was crushed by apartheid. Every time he went into the city to see his parents, Langer witnessed his fellow blacks being subjected to the indignity of the naked inspection. He turned his head away, hoping to give them some of their dignity back. Referring to the indignities of apartheid Tutu also lamented that, as archbishop, he could eat in the fine restaurants of Paris and be respected, but in his own country he could not eat in any restaurants and was forced to eat at home or in the car. It was absurd. Yet, the abuse and humiliation that harmed black people's self-esteem was far from the only evil of South Africa's apartheid. There was abundant violence as well. Let's look at a few horrifying cases. The Sharperville massacre in March of 1960 resulted in the deaths of 69 people after police indiscriminately opened fire on a crowd of black South Africans who were protesting against the past laws. Then, there was the Soweto uprising in June of 1976, in which unarmed students were shot while protesting against the use of Afrikaans, the language of the oppressors and apartheid enforcers as the language of instruction in schools. In May of 1983, there was a shocking massacre on Church Street in Pretoria when a huge bomb exploded outside the headquarters of the South African Air Force, killing 21 people and injuring more than 200. In 1985, just before Christmas, a bomb exploded at a shopping center in Amanzimtoti, killing five people instantly and injuring more than 60. A similar bomb attack in 1986 killed three people and wounded 69 at Magoo's Bar in Durban. Such terrorist attacks were common in apartheid South Africa. Worse still, apartheid's perpetrators were not the only ones to lose their humanity, victims were also stripped of their sympathy, and many black people brutally persecuted their compatriots. They used a so-called necklace to kill people. This necklace was a tire filled with gasoline that was put around the victim's neck and set on fire. The attackers would then dance around the victim as he struggled. Atrocities like these loom large in South Africa's memory. The apartheid system in the old South Africa has caused deep damage to the country's oppressed black people, not only mentally and physically, but also in terms of housing, schooling, work, medical treatment, and marriage. These wounds are like spikes in the heart of every person of color, and they continued to hurt, even after apartheid has ended. But big changes were coming. In May 1994, one month after South Africa's general elections had been held, Nelson Mandela was inaugurated as the first black president of the new South Africa, thanks to his overwhelming popularity, F.W. de Klerk and Thabo Mbeki became Mandela's vice-presidents. They contributed greatly to the facilitation of South Africa's great racial reconciliation.
Previously, in August of 1962, Mandela who had been campaigning for peace in South Africa was arrested by the apartheid government on charges of conspiring to overthrow the state. This was a clear attempt by the apartheid government to remove stumbling blocks from the path of their repressive rule. During his 27 years in prison, Mandela spared no effort to mobilize the forces around him, using nonviolent means to persuade authorities to abolish the apartheid system and achieve national reconciliation. When he was released from prison, he became a hero of compromise and tolerance, not of revenge. After becoming South Africa's president in 1989, de Klerk who is white worked to dismantle apartheid, persuading white people to give up power and share resources with their black countrymen. After some effort, de Klerk released Mandela in 1990, and the pair worked closely to push through the Promotion of National Unity and Reconciliation Act, which made further contributions to racial reconciliation in South Africa. Mandela and de Klerk were awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1993. These two leaders were instrumental in advancing the reconciliation process and facilitating a peaceful transition to a post-apartheid South Africa. However, if you look back at this turning point in South Africa's history, you will find that the new government faced a huge issue, the gap between the races that was widened during apartheid, as well as the resulting antagonism between white and black people. How could all races get along in the new society? In the factories where black slaves became black workers, would they retaliate against their white bosses for the oppression they had faced? Would a black woman who lost her husband and child in the old society go out on the street and attack a white executioner? Would black kids sitting in a classroom with white civilians be humiliated and bullied? As the victims of the old society, South African blacks had an intense fear of and hatred towards whites. After white people had been at the top of society, would they be willing to now share power with black people? This became the new government's first concern. Rather than employ a Nuremberg-style trial as in Germany or hoping for a sort of national amnesia, the new South African government eventually opted for a third way that brought the once antagonistic races to reconciliation. What is this third way? Is it the best option? We'll explain the details in part two. That concludes part one, the origins of South Africa's racial reconciliation. To sum up, apartheid did great harm to South Africans of color. The democratically elected presidents Nelson Mandela and F.W. de Klerk led efforts to dismantle South Africa's apartheid. Once apartheid had ended, the new government still faced a huge challenge, figuring out how to put racial animosity behind them. In the end, they chose a third way. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play, get your free mind snack now.